Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 739. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're going to talk about what's going on in the markets and how China fits into all of this because I keep getting the feeling that there's something going on with China that is behind a lot that we're not really clear about right now. And that will become apparent to you as we go on. But as I was thinking about today's podcast, every single piece that I kept thinking about saying, well, it somehow kept reverting back to China. So I guess this episode is going to be about China. First, let's talk about the FANG stocks because they have been in the news and they've been, frankly, what's been holding up a lot of the market. What I mean by that is that the FANG stocks make up about 40% of NASDAQ and NASDAQ hit a new high on Tuesday and seems to be going strong. In fact, NASDAQ is up 12.08% year to date while the Dow and the S&P are still down. In fact, the S&P is down 3.49% for the year. So the NASDAQ seems to be doing all the heavy lifting, but here's what really concerns me. And this I talked about on a previous podcast, and that is that whereas the FANGs with Microsoft used to be 20% of the S&P 500, Well, now they've increased to 25% of the value of the S&P 500, and Apple is closing in on a $2 trillion valuation. These companies just keep getting all of the money, and it keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower. Some people call them the Nifty 50 back from the 1960s. I call them the four horsemen of the internet, even though there's more than four, but that's what we had back in 2000. It's when the market is making a significant peak, and I'm not saying that it's today, I'm not saying that it's next month, but it might be this year where the market makes a significant peak and you have this money running into just a narrow group of companies. So we'll be watching that and see where we go from here. But what we do know is that a handful of companies have been responsible for most of the performance of the S&P 500, because the reality is of those 500 companies, about 495 of those companies haven't really been doing much. And there's about five that have done all the heavy lifting, have gotten all the assets and have raised the value of the market because the S&P 500 is a market weighted index. That means the larger you are, the more weight you have in determining the index. So a handful of companies have monopolized the whole performance of the S&P 500, the almost the entire valuation of the S&P 500, which is more valuable than the whole entire stock market in Germany. So this is giving us a bit of caution and I did want to bring that to your attention. So while we're hearing from some people that 
the stock market can only go up because the Fed has its back and therefore stocks will just rise and rise and rise. Well, while I'm still bullish, I don't agree with that statement. And that statement has really gotten into the psyche of a lot of people who are starting to believe that statement. But that statement is not true. And I think one of the real risks we have is if there is more trouble with China. And what I mean by that is you may not have seen this because it happened in overnight trading, but when Peter Navarro talked to the press and said the trade deal with China was over, the market started to sell off. And last night I saw NASDAQ was down about 1.2%, I believe. Closely after that, the president tweeted that the China trade deal is fully intact. And then Navarro came back and said the trade deal with China continues in place and that he was speaking to the lack of trust that we now have in the Chinese Communist Party. Well, something is not adding up. And this simple idea that the trade agreement is not working out with China put the fear in the market very quickly. And it was smoothed over and calmed over and those markets opened up positive Tuesday morning. But Monday night, there was this bit of a sudden drop in the market. That tells you that our markets are vulnerable to something going wrong with China. And that's what really concerns me. One thing that might be going on with China is that the dollar has been getting weaker. And you would think that it would get weaker as we continue to print more money, but it often reverses and heads back up and gains more strength. But when it starts to get weaker is when China has a problem and when they seem to voice their unhappiness. Now, we don't know exactly why they summoned Secretary Pompeo to Hawaii last week, but they did have a private meeting with a Chinese representative and Secretary Pompeo to discuss something very important. It could have involved the South China Sea. It could have involved India. We don't know, but there's a lot of potential military conflict going on, too, that seems very explosive should something go wrong. But I do think there is some pressure on China because of the dollar and because Hong Kong is pegged to the dollar. China does own a trillion dollars of US treasuries. And so they're watching the value. And there is a shortage of dollars going on and China desperately needs to have dollars. So I think it's quite possible that they're feeling the pinch, the pain of not having enough dollars. This is an idea that I was introduced to by Kyle Bass. Kyle is the chief investment officer of Heyman Capital Management, and he was kind enough to post some of his original research on his Twitter page. And I wanted to share with you a few pages from his report because it is quite astounding. And he has been extensively in China. He's very familiar with Chinese markets. And he's also heavily invested in a theory he has about China. So let me share with you this report that Heyman Capital Management uh, put out on April 22nd of 2019. It's called The Quiet Panic in Hong Kong. For the better part of the last 36 years, since Hong Kong pegged its currency to the US dollar and ceded monetary policy to the Fed, 
Hong Kong has been a financial and political oasis for investment into mainland China and Southeast Asia. Today, newly emergent economic and political risks threaten Hong Kong's decades of stability. These risks are so large that they merit immediate attention on both fronts. In this letter, we will discuss the origins of Hong Kong's impending crisis, a brief history of Hong Kong, the economics of currency boards slash pegs, the agreement that governs the United States' economic and political relationship with Hong Kong, and how Xi Jinping's China is forcing the Hong Kong government to violate the agreement that requires Hong Kong to maintain its autonomy or lose most favored nation trading status and be treated as China itself is treated. So I want to pause there and say this was written a year ago in April of 2019, but we did see this year China ignore the treaty about giving Hong Kong 50 years of independence and did essentially take over Hong Kong. So Kyle is discussing how this could happen, and he foresaw this was going to happen at some point. This next section he calls economic risk. The economics of Hong Kong have changed dramatically since the global financial crisis. He says, Hong Kong was once vitally important to China's economic position. At its apex in 1993, Hong Kong's economy represented more than 25% of China's GDP and was the most active port in the world. Since China's ascension into the World Trade Organization, WTO, in 2001, China has spent heavily on its own port infrastructure and therefore is much less economically reliant on Hong Kong today. As the chart below shows, Hong Kong was once a large exporter of goods, primarily settled in U.S. dollars, with a significantly positive trade and current account surpluses. Hong Kong was widely known as China's southern port, As China built out its own port infrastructure, Hong Kong was forced to reinvent its economy into a service exporting economy. Hong Kong transitioned from a major global exporter to a net importer of goods while simultaneously becoming a services exporter primarily to mainland China. In economic terms, this transformation has taken place rather suddenly over the past decade. This next part is called Hong Kong's Golden Years 2008-2018. And again, I want to share this with you because it's coming into where we are right now and what's going on right now. And I think it's hard to get a clear picture of what is really going on in Hong Kong and between Hong Kong and the U.S. and how ultimately that can impact our economy here. If just Peter Navarro's one sentence that the trade deal is off could start to make markets a decline by over 1% immediately, that tells you trade with China and Hong Kong are very important to us. So Kyle goes on, Hong Kong's golden years, 2008 to 2018. As the global financial crisis metastasized through 2008, Hong Kong became the world's top beneficiary of the United States' emergency monetary policy. Since Hong Kong's currency is pegged to the U.S. dollar, Hong Kong's interest rates must move with its anchor currency's rates. Its currency pegged to the U.S. dollar forced Hong Kong to import U.S. monetary policy, while its largest trading partner, China, was preparing to grow credit to the tune of half its economic output in a desperate effort to stimulate GDP growth. Thus, in 2008, interest rates in Hong Kong collapsed essentially to zero in lockstep with U.S. interest rates, while China began an aggressive credit expansion. It's no wonder why Hong Kong real estate became the most expensive per square meter in the world. 
free money in Hong Kong, and double-digit credit growth in China drove the greatest economic expansion Hong Kong will ever experience. Its cup ran over. These 10 years will prove to be the best decade in Hong Kong's existence. So I want to pause there and say, do you see how low-priced debt can cause an economy to expand? And that's exactly what happened with Hong Kong. It goes on to say, as a result of free money, Hong Kong's overnight lending rate was roughly 0.5% for eight years. Hong Kong's residents, banks, and companies did what anyone would expect them to do. They borrowed, geared, and levered. Hong Kong's private sector leverage is now the highest of any nation in the world. In 2010, Hong Kong grew its GDP 7%, while its interest rate stayed at emergency levels in the U.S. at zero. Remember when Iceland, Ireland, and Cyprus fell like dominoes on the front end of the European banking crisis? If you don't remember, that was back in 2008 when the U.S. was having its crisis as well. The primary determinant of the sovereign's failures in each case was the fact that each country had allowed their banking sectors to grow to almost 1,000% of GDP. A small bump in the economic road could cripple the sovereign, forcing it to intervene and save bank depositors. Hong Kong is in as precarious a situation as Iceland, Ireland, and Cyprus were leading up to the crisis. In fact, Hong Kong's banking system is one of the most levered in the world at approximately 850% of GDP, with 280% of GDP being lent directly to mainland China. To add insult to injury, two of the largest banks in Hong Kong are orphaned subsidiaries of British financial institutions, Standard Charter and HSBC, that now lack any meaningful British depositors. If and when they encounter serious difficulty, British taxpayers will not come to their rescue. The Chinese government will most likely have to step in to save Chinese and Hong Kong depositors, but may not bail out foreign depositors. They will surely not bail out equity holders of foreign banks operating in Hong Kong. The moral of the story for Hong Kong depositors is to be extremely wary of which currency and which bank they keep their savings in. All right, well, I won't finish the report, but it is on Kyle Bass's Twitter page if you want to. It's pinned at the top if you want to uh, read the rest of the report and see his ultimate findings. The next thing that happened was there was talk of China being locked out of the SWIFT banking system due to sanctions. And basically, that's like locking China out and saying you don't have access to any dollars. So something is going on in terms of a quiet economic war with the dollar and with China. This could lead to another spike in the dollar and a decline in our stock market, which is what happened in the big waterfall decline in March. Now, I'm not predicting that we're going to new lows. I don't think we are. I do expect a pullback here somewhere though. And I think it could very well happen from our economic battle that we're in with China. Here's another thing that just happened, and that is Luckin Coffee received its second delisting notice from NASDAQ. If you're not familiar with Luck and Coffee, it was called the Starbucks of China. And the problem was a top executive fabricated a financial report and faked the numbers. Basically, he overestimated sales by $312 million. So the value of the stock declined. It was once valued at $12 billion and it's received its second 
notice from NASDAQ that it's going to be delisted if it doesn't come up with some audited financial statements, which they're saying they can't do because of complications due to COVID-19. The next thing that happened was that I got a report that there is a new, more deadly strain of COVID-19 going around in China again. We have a new name of another virus. So here we are, COVID round two, expect it, it's headed our way. The CCP virus has mutated and the new strain is now spreading in Beijing. It's allegedly more infectious and more deadly than the previous strain. This is according to data released by China's CDC, says Josh Phillip. And he says the new virus is called D614G. Stay tuned, we might have round two of the next iteration of the virus incoming. So you see, every time I wanted to talk about something to do with the market, it kept coming back to China. I don't know if we're going to have a more serious outbreak due to this new strain, but I do know it will cause fear and confusion and maybe another pullback in the market. So. All I'm saying is don't get caught up in this mindset that the stock market can only go up because the Fed is out there providing liquidity. I don't believe that's the case. And whether we have a pullback due to a spike in the dollar or an admission that the trade deal has fallen through or this more deadly mutation of COVID, we definitely can have a pullback. I wanted to give a shout out to some of our international listeners. Thank you to our listeners in Portugal, United Kingdom, France, Austria, and Korea. Welcome in and thank you for listening. And I want to remind everyone we still have our giveaway going on. I'm giving away 25 different prizes. We have 10 Wealth Heiress books being given away that you could win. 10 of my Wealthy Mindset Blueprint audio sets valued at $197 and five wealth mentoring sessions with me. To enter, just leave a podcast review on iTunes or stitcher.com. If you have an Android, that's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R.com. And you'll be entered into the drawing one time. If you've read The Wealth Heiress book and you leave a book review on Amazon, you'll be entered into the drawing two times and winners will be announced on August 1st. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.